being with children, I think we should honor our mothers as much as possible. But I also want to take today to talk about sisterhood and our women. Because I think that the more that we talk about motherhood, we encourage our women to celebrate their mothers, but I also think we have to encourage our women to just accept the grace of God for where God has them right now. Because there's nothing, you can't make yourself a mom. You can't make yourself married. But you can be a great sister in the Lord. And so today I really want to talk about the importance of sisterhood. How our women should be really co-laboring together to encourage each other in the Lord. Um, the reason why I even mentioned that too, what I said before was, my wife and I, for six years we tried to get, you know, tried to have a child. And we just weren't able to have it. And I can remember there was kind of this sense in the church that if you were a mom, you had kind of been in this elevated position. And the reality is mothers should be elevated and honored. But if you're a mom, it's the grace of God that gave you children. And if you're married, it's the grace of God that got you married. But if you're single, it's the grace of God that has you single. You see, if you find your identity in being a mother, or if you find your identity in being married, if you find your identity in being single, none of those positions will bring you satisfaction. The only position that should bring you satisfaction is your position in Christ, and that he has graced you with a relationship. And so that's what I want to celebrate today. I want to celebrate all of our women. And, and this is the thing. All of our women need each other. Our mothers need the singles, and the singles need the marrieds. And so we should have this, as the scientists would say, a cross-pollinization. Everyone working together to encourage one another in the Lord. And in that, when we do that, we function like a family. And that's what God has called us to be, a family in God. God calls himself in the scriptures a father. He says that's who he is. One of his highest ideals for us to understand who he is, is a father. And if he is a father, then we are his children. And as his children, we have this responsibility to love one another. And the Bible says that the way the world will know us is by our love for each other. And what will make us distinct is when our women love each other differently than the way we see women love each other in the world. You see, we are a family then. The difference that I want us to make sure we have in our community is that we are not just looking for friends, but we believe that we have sisters. Those are two different things. Friendship is all about affinity. Affinity meaning that you think like I think, you act like I act, you talk like I talk, you look like me. So I prefer your friendship. That's all. Friendship is all about affinity and preference. But family is all about identity. And it is realizing that we both have the same father. And because of that, because we have the same identity and because we are part of the same family, we'll push through anything. So when our preferences aren't working out, we'll push through it because we're sisters. We'll fight through issues because we have an identity that's bigger than preferences and bigger than ideals. We have, a, we have an identity that is all about God and God being our father. You see, it's so important that we just don't make a group of people that like each other. We want to be a group of people that love God and thus love one another. And I believe that one of, the, one of the deepest areas that the evil one can disrupt what we are trying to do as a community is attacking women 
and making them be kind and nice on a surface level, but never really living out a family dynamic together. A true love of one another. Some depth that's there. And I believe that the women that we have here, we, I see us doing it already. I see us already coming together and loving one another. But there's so much more to go. And so, you know, I said this in the uh, previous service, but I think our women right now, you guys have to fight things every day that men don't have to fight. And so you guys need each other in a way that is unique that men can't speak into in the same way. You know, I, I said this before, but I, I, there, there is in our culture right now, there is a way that the culture makes women a commodity. They make you seem like the only value you have is in your body and the way you look. We said this before in a previous message, but we said that how the culture basically puts women on the market. And it's not that just sex sells, that's what we want to say, but it's that sex sells women. You know, when you watch a, a prize fight in the middle of the ring, there's a woman that's wearing a bikini, and we've just gotten used to it, like, oh, okay, she's coming out with the ring card. No, she's half naked because they want to make us keep our eyes on the ring. It's an Arby's commercial with the woman that we, you know, she's wearing a bikini. It's like, yeah, she's eating the Arby's burger. But the point is, is that if I can make this woman look good, and I can get your eyes fixed on this television, what I can do is I can sell this burger. I could sell this fight. And really what we're doing is we're enslaving our women, selling our women on the screen. Now, sex sells and men are buying it, but the problem is some of our women buy it too. That you feel deep down inside your only value is the way you look. Only value is the way that you come across to a man. And so the reason why I say this is because we have so many single women in our church and it would be a shame if you felt your greatest value is in getting connected to a man. If you felt like your identity was getting into a relationship with the man, then if you don't have a man, then you have less worth. And you have less value. You see, and so, this is, this is but, but this is the thing, it's being sold to you every day. It's being sold to you every day. And it's so easy to buy. It's so easy to believe, but I don't want you to believe that. But this is the wild thing. We sell something in church, too. We sell this subtle idea that if you are a woman with kids, subtly you're more valuable than a single woman. That's what we subtly do. I'm not saying because we have Mother's Day. That's, praise God, we do Mother's Day. I, I want to celebrate our mothers. But at the, at the core and at the root, sometimes we see a woman with our children. You know, I remember when we were trying to have kids and we were single. And, you know, there was kind of this subtle, like, one day you'll get there. <laughs> one day you'll be at that place. And we tried, and I got all types of advice of how to kids and I won't, how to have kids, and I won't share that with you. It was really crazy. It made me look at people differently and all these different things. But we couldn't have a child. We tried so hard. And it was kind of this place where we felt, what did we do wrong? Not, God, you have graced us with this season. You've, you've allowed me to be single. It's as, almost as if we felt like God gave us a junior plan. And there was a higher ideal. Now, don't get me wrong. 
there's something unique and powerful about being a mother. There's something beautiful about seeing someone care for a child. Even in the Bible, in Isaiah 59, talks about how God cares for us like a mother. Or in Thessalonians, he says how we were cared for like a mother caring for their children. There's this unique thing that happens with a mom and her kids. But being a mother is something only God can do. Being married is something only God can do. And I think we ought to celebrate singles like we celebrate our mothers. I think we ought to celebrate those who are married and have no kids like we celebrate those who have kids because it's not a hierarchy. It's just the grace of God. It's the grace of God to be single. It's the grace of God to be married. And it is the grace of God to be a mother. And so I never want us to feel like there is a stepladder in our church. I want us to know that there is this beautiful place that we all are and that we are all children of God. And I think the way that we can encourage this kind of understanding of family is when our women don't find their identity in those things, but we find our identity in God our Father, and then we love one another, and we care for one another, and we help one another, and we encourage one another. And there's a true sense of sisterhood, not just friendship, but true sisterhood. I believe if the church really lived like a family, a true sense of family, I think we would put less emphasis on marriage. Because I think, honestly, sometimes people want to get married because it's the only friend they think they'll ever have. But at the end of the day, like, what if you had a true, what if you were so content that you could really evaluate a dude coming at you like, you know, let me see if I, I wanted you to have this hunger inside of you. There was this true sense of contentment that you get when you have a family of God supporting you and loving you. I believe that's what God's calling us to. So if we are going to be in that kind of that kind of community and that kind of family dynamic, I think the scriptures lay out for us what that looks like in Titus chapter 2. If you have your Bible, just go there. Titus chapter 2, verse 3. It's going to show how this works. And then I want to share a verse that anyone can do. Any, any woman can do with another woman. In 1 Peter 3, we'll look at that in a second. <coughs> Titus chapter 2, verse 3, says this. We have it up on the screen as well. If you have your Bible, please open up to it. Titus chapter 2, verse 3, older women, likewise. The reason why he says likewise is in chapter 2, he's also spoken to the men earlier on. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves too much wine. So what Paul is trying to do is he's trying to create this family dynamic, and he says, if you want to be a woman that's an influencer of women, Obviously, he's assuming that the older women are women that are more mature in Christ. But for the sake of our audience, and for the sake of what he's really getting at, is it's not just those who are older, but it's those who are mature in Christ. Those who have more influence than another. And so he says, for those that are the mature, the more influential, this is how you are going to be helpful to your sisters. Older women likewise, this is what you need to be, reverent. Now, the word reverent there... It really is getting at something more than just someone who goes around quoting verses. The word reverent, actually, when you think about the temple, there was a temple in the Old Testament. And the way that the temple worked was there were different layers that you could go in. 
And there were different spaces that you would go in. So there was an area for the Gentiles. There was an area for slaves. And as you get going deeper and deeper, there was this one unique area that only one person could go to, or one type of people could go to, and that was the priests. And the priests would go into this area called the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies was thought to be the very presence of God. And as the priest would go into the Holy of Holies, what he would do is light incense. And it was the sense that God was giving up, you were giving God a fragrance and an aroma that was pleasing to him. And so this is what the priest did all the time. But what's crazy is, is that when they would walk out of the temple, there was this fragrance that was still on them. This aroma that was on them. Because they had spent so much time lighting all these incense. And the word there is getting at this aroma and fragrance that you give off once you've left out of the temple. And so the heartbeat of when it says reverence, what it's really getting at is it's something that you give off regardless of what you say or what you do. It's so crazy the way that scent works that way. You, you, I mean, for me, I remember kids growing up and they would play out in the street and then they would go change their clothes but not wash up. <laughs> do you remember those kids? And they would try to just, they would try to look clean but on the inside, they weren't clean at all. There was an aroma that they would give off. Generally, it was powerful. <laughs> and what he is saying here is that there is this fragrance and aroma that a woman can give off, that you can tell she's been in the presence of God. It's more than what she says. It's more than what she does. It's, it's something about her that you can see a countenance, a confidence, a humility, a boldness. There's something inside of her. And what it is, is it's the work of the Holy Spirit in her life. And it's evident in the way she talks and the way she leads and the things she does. It's evident over time. And so this picture is women. Really what it's saying is you are to be a woman that really finds her identity in the presence of your father. And when you do that, it comes across to people. It comes across in the way you talk. It comes across in the things you do. You can act like a holy woman, but to be holy is to be in the presence of the Holy of Holies and in the presence of God. And so in this text, the good thing is that, you know, Paul writing the Titus he doesn't leave what it means to be reverent up to just the wordplay. He leaves us two indications of what reverence looks like. He says they need to be reverent in behavior, behavior, and he says two things. They can't be slanderers. You don't be reverent, you can't be a slanderer. But the other thing is you, you can't be a slave to wine. Praise the Lord. All right, so a slanderer, the, the word there. It's this word diabolo. It's kind of the same word you would get for the devil. And it's this idea of throwing through or getting in the way. So if I were to walk up to you and shake your hand, and then someone came in the middle and just got their hand in the way before we could really shake our hand, it's this idea of getting in the way, getting in the middle. 34 times in the New Testament, this same word is used, and it's talking about the devil. This idea of a slanderer is someone that doesn't allow unity to happen because they keep getting in the way. They keep putting themselves in a position to tear, and I'll just use for the sake of this message, 
tear the sisters down more than build them up. They have a tendency to always talk about someone's weaknesses rather than propping up their highlight reel. They get in the way. They get in the way of unity. They get in the way of what God is doing. And so it's not just reverence for the sake of what you say. It's really what you're saying behind the scenes. And so this idea that you would not be a slanderer means that you are always propping up the strengths of your sisters. You are always propping other women up. And you see the beauty in them and not the ugliness of them. And if you do see ugliness, you don't promote it. The hardest part about people who slander other people is that they tend to assume motives and agenda, and then they announce it for the purpose of entertainment. And it's crazy. It's crazy because this is, I, this is why I love the Bible. Because it's so simple. It's not saying you're reverent because you come to church a lot and you raise your hand and you lift it up. It's saying, do you gossip? Okay, then you, you're not reverent if you gossip. Okay? <laughs> it's simple. Slander. I mean, this is a basic, this is basic today. Don't talk about people. But this is the bottom line. Don't celebrate the weaknesses of people. Don't make that part of your character. Don't be that person that everybody goes to to find out the latest and greatest problems. Don't be that person that people go to to get the real scoop. <laughs> That's what happened? Okay, I'm a, then you call, they call you. Because you always get in the way. You get in the way of unity. Fighting for unity. And see, this is the bottom line. Hear me when I say this. Because when women trust that they can go to you, they will go to you. But the minute you break the trust of another woman, they will not come to you. They will not feel like they can get close to you. And we don't want you to get in the way of what God is doing. We want you to be in the flow of what God's doing. God is about edifying and building up. He saved you to use you and bless you and encourage you. And so we'll be reverent and acting like him. But not only that, he says they're not slanders, but they're also not slaves to much wine. Now, how much Bible study do we have to do on this part, right? Slaves to much wine. Don't get drunk, right? So that's pretty much what it's getting at. But look at the word he uses. It doesn't say, don't be drunk. He doesn't say, don't drink alcohol. He says, if you want to be a woman that is an influencer of other women with the people of God, don't be a slave to wine. So that would mean that the bottle would be your master. You ever want to figure out what your master is? When I say a master, I mean like an idol, something that pulls at you and you've got to do it. If you ever want to figure out what your master is, just think in your mind right now. What's something I just I can't say no to? Just can't say no. You know, I mean, the heartbeat of this is not just saying you can't put the bottle down. It's saying that you would not have anything else other than the Lord having mastery over your life. And a woman that celebrates the Lord, but behind the scenes, her master is actually her children or her master is her job, or her master is her husband, the people that they're kind of enslaved to. 
You will not promote the work of God and the love of God. What we should always be pointing to is our master as the Lord, as the one who is always ordering and directing and guiding my steps. He's the one that I have to do what he says to do. And I live my life in such a way that he is the one that guides and protects me. And so those are two things that Paul says, if you're going to be an influence, this is what you can't be. And so it's crazy. He gives this incredible picture of now he's using this term older and younger in a family dynamic. And if you look there in verse 4, he says they, they are to teach what is good. And so, older women, train the young women to love their husbands and children. Now, you look at that and you're like, well, love your husband and your children. But what's interesting is that in the New Testament, there is never one time where the Bible says for a woman to love her husband with the word agape love, the word in Greek. That, that, that love of being patient and kind. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13 kind of lays out what that kind of love is. Hoping all things, enduring all things, believing all things. That's not this word. The word here, when it says, so train the young women to love their husbands and children, it's the word phileo. And it means brotherly love. It means a kind and friendly kind of love. You know what this is really getting at? This is saying that women must come together and support one another because at times a woman won't like her husband and won't like her children. I'm a priest today. Look, so this is not saying that a woman won't endure her husband. It is saying that there comes this point where she just may not like him. She may not want to be around him like a friend. But she'll put up with him. And the same, saying the same thing about her kids. She loves them. She cares for them. But she can't stand them jokers sometimes. <laughs> Love my husband. I'll die for him, but I can't stand him. I'm so glad we got married. But I, I can't put up with them sometimes. And so the text here is saying that there gets a point where a woman, especially early on in her marriage, will get worn out. Worn out from being connected to this man and connected to her children. And so what it is encouraging is the word, the first part is this, train the women, be with the women, care for the women, celebrate the women so that they can love their husband, be friends with their husband. The craziest thing is when my wife and I get a date night, and every single woman that has helped my wife and I get a date night, I praise God for you, to whom all blessings flow. Thank you for all the hours that my kids put crayons on you and, and did all, you, you endured that. Thank you. Because you know why? You know why that's so important? Because my wife and I need about two hours every week to just sit and talk and become friends again. We need that. Because over the weeks and days and months, we start getting into house management and pay the bills and get, and, and I'm a pastor. You know, we preach and we come home, we put the kids to bed, and 
Did she pee in the bed? No, she did. Okay, we're just, and we start working together, but not loving each other. And we need the church's help. We need the church's help to build us up so we can get that time. And the singles are blessing us when they do that. But what about when my wife talks to another woman? You know? What about when my wife can't stand me and she calls another married woman? What's going to happen in that conversation? What's really going to happen in that conversation? I, I don't like my husband. What you going to say? Me neither, girl. <laughs> What's going to happen? Are you going to bring them to the point where they can hear from the Lord because you've been in his presence and you're going to remind her that you've got you've to endure and phileo love him? You're going to have to get time and get to know him and bless him? Or are you going to say, man, I'm still figuring it out myself? And even what's better is if you're both struggling, you both go into the presence of God and pray together about your relationships. You see, this is why the first part is so important. If you're a slanderer in every other area of your life, you're going to bring him down too. You're going to get in the way of their marriage because that's what slanderers do. And so it's so important that we be a place where you're always encouraging people to go before the presence of God and to love God and to love your husband. Love your husband. I know, girl. Love him. Build him up. I know it's challenging, but bless him. And I don't even know how much I need to go on this with children. But children can wear you down. And this is, we don't have a lot of this in our church. We don't have a lot of older families. But a lot of times, older families, this is what they always say, always say to us. They see us in restaurants. They see our kids. They see we have a five and a four-year-old. You know what they say every time? Every time they go, goes fast. Oh, goes fast. I'm like, speed it up. Good Lord. This is challenging. We need help. But they're bringing us a different perspective. And so even though we don't have many of those couples in our church, it is a blessing when people remind us of the beauty of our children. And even when younger couples come over and they go, man, your kids are so great. And you know, you know how parents are like, mm -mm, you know when parents do that? Because they're with them every day, every hour, and they know their weaknesses so much. So when we're a family, we're helping one another to love our kids. Helping one another to love our husband, love your husband. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I love. All right. So in that, we're a family dynamic. But this is one, one last thing. I'm not going to be before you guys long today. But one last thing I think that is so important. If you want to be an influential sister in the Lord, I mean, somebody that really influences other people for the sake of Christ, 1 Peter 3 is just a dynamic verse. Because I said before that there's a sense that women are being sold on the marketplace of television and in the eyes of men. But look at 1 Peter 3. It's encouraging women. It says, do not let your adorning be external. If you have a Bible, circle, highlight, asterisk, so important, that text. Do not let your adorning be external. And some versions say merely external. 
Don't let your adorning be external. And this is what they mean by adorning. Three things. The braiding of hair, the putting on of gold, or the clothing you wear. Verse 4. Let your adorning be in the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty. You see what Paul, or Peter rather, is saying there? Don't buy in to the fact that the culture is flowing and always telling you that your highest value is in the way you look. Because if you do that, you'll spend all your time, the word adorning there, you know when you get a Christmas tree and you, you, know, you put on the, the bulbs and the popcorn or whatever you do, but you, you adorn it, you make it look beautiful. And in the same way, it's saying that a woman will look at her hair. They'll look at her, she'll look at her clothes, she'll look at her jewelry, and she'll spend all her time trying to get herself to look a certain way. And what Peter says is, don't spend all your energy on that. Spend your energy on the hidden person, your character, the person underneath what everyone sees, the hidden person of your heart. And this idea of adorning, you know, um, I grew up, my, my wife, she, she spends a lot of time, you know, getting herself ready. But my sisters, they were serious divas. And they were, they were you know, they were, they were just so focused, like hours in front of the mirror. Oh, trying on three and four outfits and, you know, and just jewelry and nails and making sure everything was hooked up. And they spent a lot of time focusing on, does this match? Does this look right? Hair, jewelry, clothes. But what he's saying here is, is that you would not only focus on how you look on the outside, but you would look into the mirror of the Word of God and you would look at your character. And you would say, man, how am I lining up with the Word? And just like you would look and put lipstick on and you put earrings on, you would look at your life and you would see if you're patient, if you're kind, if you've been gentle. Those kind of things that are the hidden person, the thing that we don't all see. But you know, sometimes my, my, uh, my sisters would invite girls over to like get dressed together. I don't, guys don't do this kind of thing, and, but no shade if you do, but girls would get together and they would all kind of like have these moments where they look at each other and they kind of, this is what works, this is what works. And they're all kind of having this moment of adorning where it's like, what works for you? But what would be beautiful is if the adorning was not just external but internal, what if our women not only focused on how we look on the outside, but what if we focused on how we looked on the inside, like together, and like we spoke into each other's lives, almost as confident as we would say that you know, those shoes don't match with that outfit. It's like, well, your, your character does not match with what you're saying. That we would speak into the life of one another and that sisters would really encourage the character of one another and bless one another. And we would fight to have that kind of unity and fight to have that kind of encouragement and to be involved in each other's lives so deeply. We had this one girl, my school, in high school. I won't say her name. She might listen to the podcast. <laughs> she couldn't dress. 
She couldn't dress in high school. Would you just take a second and imagine what that's like? She can't dress. She didn't know how to hook it up. She'd walk into the lunchroom. And do you know what would happen when she walked into the lunchroom? Oh, man. She'd get rocked. Oh, man, look at them shoes. Look at that. Look, 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 look at that. Every day. Every day. She would get torn down every day because she didn't know how to adorn herself. But my fear as a church is though we may not do it on the outside, we may do the same thing. And we may see the character of our sisters. You see, the deeper we get as a church, the more we get closer to one another, we're going to see the flaws of one another. I don't mean to harp on this, but I, I need to just say this. Men gossip, all right? Men gossip, men slam, do all that. But women, there's a temptation that's there that if we do not fight to be true family and true sisters, we will see the weaknesses of each other. We will see the lack of adornment, the lack of character. We won't spend time trying to get them right and hook them up. We'll spend time going to the side and tearing them down. And what if we were a place that there was this true sense that we were loving each other and caring for each other and we trusted one another? We truly trusted one another. I mean, a true sense that I'm going to fight to make this. I'm going to fight to make this my sister. See, when we do that, we end up being something so unique and so different and so special that we get two people that are loving each other, that are so different than one another. And in the world, y'all wouldn't talk, and y'all wouldn't even be around each other. Oh, I can't believe who she is. But in Christ, we talk, and we love, and we fight through things because we love each other. And the world knows us by our love for one another. And when we see flaws, we bless, and we encourage, we build up, we don't tear down. We don't pull away. We come closer. If we would be that kind of place, I believe the world would just be in awe of what we are and what we do. And in that, we would see our sisters, our sisters truly be sisters. This is a choice we make every day, to be sisters or to be friends. And so I will say this, this is the last thing I'm going to say. I do not want to be a church that is clicked up and friendshiped up, if that's a word. I just made up a word. I don't want to just be friends. I want to be family. I don't want to just hang out with people that are like me. Who does, the world does that? How hard is that? I want people to be here and sense that there's something so unique and powerful about the way that you all connect and operate with each other that supersedes preferences and affinity. There's just this beautiful relationship you have. And you guys truly are family. You truly care for that girl. I, see, I saw the way that you were with her. You care for her. You really love her. I saw the way that you were talking with her and you would care. You really love each other. What if we were that kind of place? I believe we're there. I believe we're getting there, but we have to fight. We cannot just live on preferences and friendships and all that. The world, the world, the world does that. But in Christ, we are a family. And we must fight to be a family. Our sisters need each other. They need each other. I pray that they would always love each other. I pray that we would be there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just we love you and we pray, God, that 
There would be no, there would be nothing getting in the way of what you're doing in our community, but there would just be this unique love that you have, that you're pouring out on our women, pouring out on our Holy Spirit.